Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 to 23. Um, I'd like to maybe just back up a little bit. I'm going to read verses 15 through 21 along with this. We're not going to look at those verses, but I just want to kind of get a running start uh, into the passage we're going to look at this morning. So, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And now the passage that we're going to look at. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there you have it. Yes, I went there. We are going to look at the passage, the passage. (laughs) So coming off of, um, gosh, how long has it been? So no Sunday school last week, no Sunday school the week before because of the weather. And then two weeks before that, it was not me, it was Vanderhart. So five weeks ago, it was 2020, yeah. So I could say, last year when we looked at, <laughs> looked at Ephesians 5, we looked at uh, verses 15 through 21, which is kind of why I read them. Um, Paul, of course, in this section... Um, I've been arguing, and I will just to bring it to your mind again, um, really everything that you see uh, flows out of the imperative in chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul there says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Everything after this, that verse, is sort of fleshing out what a worthy walk is. And it's always, we need to make sure that worthy walk is always something that is the outflow of what we've learned in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. 
So we don't walk the worthy walk to be chosen, to be redeemed, to be sealed. It's because we are chosen, because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It's because we've been sealed by the Spirit. It's because we've been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is because of all these things that we walk worthy. So uh, in the language of our own beloved Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we talk about our guilt, our sin before the Lord. We talk about grace how Christ saves us by grace through faith. And then we talk about gratitude, our response to um, our salvation, to uh, such a great salvation that we have. So uh, Ephesians 4.1, the worthy walk. And, and particularly as you get to chapter 5, you get these several walks that Paul um, exhorts the Ephesian believers to. So walk in love, walk in light, Walk in wisdom, uh, and that's what we saw in verses 15 through 21. Uh, walk carefully, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Um, and that we saw that the, the wise walk is one that is uh, a walk in wisdom. It is one that is filled with the Spirit. It is one that um, engages in submission. Now, you know, when you get to verse 21 there, you see submitting to one another uh, in the fear of God. And when you get to verse 22, now you don't see it in the English, and I'm really surprised that it's not italicized, but the word submit is not there. And you're like, well, then why is it there? Because it's drawing what you see in verse 21. Uh, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. How does that look like for wives? Well, they are to submit to their own husbands. How does that look for husbands? They are to love their wives. How does it look to, for children, where they're to obey their parents. How does it look for parents? Well, they're to raise their children and not provoke them to wrath. How does it look for slaves or bondservants? They are to obey their masters. How does it look for masters? They are to treat their bondservants or their slaves um, well, not uh, abusing them, but uh, recognizing that they themselves were also at one time slaves to sin and so on. So what you see here in verse, from chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, um, is this idea of submission and authority relationships and how that looks uh, in the Christian home. In fact, they're often called by commentators and study Bibles as the household codes. And you're like, household codes, what do you mean? Well, you've got marriage, you've got Parenting, and you've got servants. Now, in those days, servants were often considered part of the family. Um, not in every single state and case, but oftentimes if you were a servant, you served a family. I mean, think, you know, we've been in Genesis going through um, chapter 17 in Sunday evenings, and think of how Abraham had many servants. They were part of his household. How do you know that? Well, when God commands him in chapter 17 to circumcise all the males in your household, he includes all the men who were bought with your money. In other words, your male servants as well as your male children. They were part of the family. Now, to be sure, they were servants. Uh, and we'll expound on that more when we get to it next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But I want to focus here on marriage. So really everything you see from verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9 is um, an expansion or an ex exposition of this worthy walk as we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. 
So um, just as a theme to uh, unite this passage before us this morning, because we're going to look at Christian marriage in particular, uh, Christian marriage points to the mystery of Christ in the church. That's Paul's um, payoff when he gets to the end of the passage there in verses 32 and 33. This is a profound or great mystery. He speaks concerning Christ and the church. So Christian marriage, the goal of Christian marriage and the goal of the commands that Paul gives here in Christian marriage is to show this picture to point to the relationship between Christ and his church. And that's what we're going to draw out as we uh, look at this. So um, I think I have uh, three points right. So you've got wives submit, husbands love, and then you've got uh, the mystery, the mystery. So the worthy walk is a submissive walk, and how does that look in the family? Well, Paul is going to answer that, as I said, in verses 22, chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's the household code. Um, you might, if you've got a bookmark, you might want to bookmark Colossians 3, because we may be flipping back and forth. But Colossians 3, uh, verse... 18 through 4, verse 1, you get, uh, it's the same thing, it's just shorter. You're like, well, can we look at that instead because it's shorter? It's like, no, because we're in Ephesians. When we get to Colossians, we'll look at that, and then I'll refer back to Ephesians. But it's, it's the same thing. And, and if you think about it, right, Colossians and Ephesians, they're prison epistles. Paul wrote these probably within a short span of time from one another when he was in, uh, how, under house arrest in Rome. So you've got that household code here. You've got it again in Colossians. Peter's going to bring it up, and we're going to look at passages in first, a passage in 1 Peter as well. But it's a household code. It's how should a Christian household look? How should it function? How should it be structured? How should it be ordered? And the first command here, it, now well, before I go on to that, all right, because we're going to look at submission here. When Paul says in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God, it's not a symmetrical submission. All right? Some like to say, well, this is a, this is a, it's symmetrical, right? Husband, you know, wives submit, husbands submit. Yes and no. Yes, but it's going to look differently. <laughs> All right? Why? Because it's not symmetrical. We are talking about a relationship in which you have a hierarchy. You have a hierarchy. You've got one in authority, and you've got one in a submissive or subjective role there who is under that authority. How does that relationship work? Okay, um, There are duties and obligations on both sides, and we'll, we'll explore that. So it's not symmetrical. But some want to twist this to support sort of like a mutual submission. But in each of these, marriage, parenting, uh, service, uh, Paul is, he deals with the one who is in the role of submission first, and then he deals with the one who is in the position of authority after that. So when we get to verse 22, he says wives. He begins with the wives. And he says here, what are they to do? They are to submit. To whom are they to submit? Their own husbands. How are they to submit? As to the Lord. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
Now, the word there for wives uh, in Greek, gune, it means, it's the, it's the Greek word for female, all right? It's, it's, so it's not like the word for man, anthropos, which can mean male, man, or it can mean mankind. It is the word that specifically speaks to women as gendered people, okay? So we're not talking non-binary, okay? We are talking women. And oftentimes that word is also used to speak of wives, so wives or women. So the command is that wives, gune, are to submit. And that word there, it's a military term in which you are to line up. I mean, if you were to just look at the word etymologically, or by its parts. How is it structured? It is a compound word that means to line up under something. Hupotasso. You are to line up or arrange or to subordinate under something. You would line up under something. They are to submit. So it often gets translated as submit. They are to submit themselves, we'll get to that in a moment, to their own husbands as unto the Lord. So what does that mean? What is, first let me say what submission isn't. Okay, let me say first what submission isn't. It isn't servile slavery. All right, it isn't, all right, woman, do what I ask you to do. Do what I command you to do. Why? Just because. Pick up my socks, make my dinner. It's, it's not servile slavery. It isn't blind obedience. Right? A wife isn't supposed to submit to her husband in a sinful way. It isn't subjugation. Okay, it is not subjugation. It is not slavery. What is submission? It's recognizing the creation order of things. It's understanding that the world, as God has created it, is, operates under a hierarchy. There are people in authority, and there are people to, uh, that are under that authority. Right? Uh, it's the same thing you say. You can't have... You know, what do they say about, you know, Indians, right? You can't have all chiefs. you got to have some Indians, right? Sorry, I may have to edit that out of the audio. That's probably incredibly racist to say that. All right, too many chiefs, right? You can't have, you can't have all chiefs. you got to have some, some Indians in the tribe as well. Uh, it's the same thing here. Now, if you recall, when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, another passage that I had a fun time going over, the, the old head covering passage in Ephesians, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11. There, if you recall that study, the idea of the head covering was a sign of submission between a wife and her husband. And the reason Paul grounds that. He grounds that in the creational order in chapter 11, verse 3. He says here, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There is a creational order. Now you're like, well, but isn't Christ, you know, deity as well as God? Aren't they equal? Yes, they are equal. But when Christ comes and incarnates and takes on a human nature, he is, in a sense, submissive to the Father as the God-man. Think of the time we went through the Gospel of John. Jesus often says, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. I have come to do the Father's work. He has sent me into this world and I listen to him and I obey him. 
Now, it's not talking about an ontological kind of subjection here or submission. It's, this is a hierarchy. It's an economic hierarchy. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. So it's recognizing the creation order of things. What submission isn't doesn't infer that the person in the submissive role is inferior. Women are every bit created in the image of God as men, right? Uh, in back in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his image, male and female. He created them. They are both in his image. Both share in the Imago Dei. Both share in the image of God. Uh, if you remember in Galatians 3.28, Paul there says, In Christ there is no male, no female, no Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor bond, nor rich, nor poor. You are all one in Christ. In other words, at the foot of the cross, we are all one. We all are one in Christ. We are all uh, the idea of lesser or equal that you see in the worldly structure between uh, masters and slaves, between men and women, between um, rich and poor, those are obliterated at the foot of the cross because we are all one in Christ. It doesn't obliterate the hierarchy in society in the creation order. It obliterates uh, any kind of idea that somehow the one in the position of authority is, in, is superior to the one who is in the position of submission. Note two, again, I, I've emphasized this a couple times already, wives are to submit to their own husbands. So it's not women submit to every man, <laughs> okay? It is wives submit to your husband. A wife is to submit herself to her husband. Now notice too, they are to submit themselves, right? I think uh, we get that a little later. Um, okay, it's not in the English, but the word in the Greek is it's it's reflexive, right? It's in a it's in a it, it, I'm getting a little technical here, so I apologize. But the way it's structured in the Greek, it's it's what they call in the middle voice, which means um, it it is I am doing the submission. It is I'm submitting myself. All right, so the wives submit themselves to their own husbands. It is not a question that the husbands here demand submission from their wives is the point I'm trying to make with that. So wives submit herself to their husbands. Husbands don't demand the submission. A wife submits to her husband as to the Lord because in submitting to your husband, you are submitting to the Lord in this case. And a wife submits to her own husband because he is the head which implies authority, just as the church submits to her head, which is Christ. And we've seen this in a number of occasions as well. If you want to just flip over a couple pages to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, uh, verses 22 and 23. And he, God, put all things under his feet, the feet of Christ, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. Later on in chapter 4, verse 15 of Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him, that is Christ, who is 
the head. He is the head. And then verse 16, from whom the whole body joined together uh, by what every joint supplies and so on. So Christ is the head of the church as he is the head of the church. So the a husband is the head of the wife. The wife submits herself to the husband as the church submits herself to her husband, Christ. There's other passages, uh, Colossians 1.18. I'm not going to read that. For a wife to submit, to refuse to submit to her own husband would be as if the church could somehow refuse to submit to Christ. Now that sounds absurd, right? You know, we, we say, well, I mean, the, the church should not submit to Christ. You know, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but to say that if Christ is the head of the church, to say that the church can say, well, I, that's okay, I'm going to ignore that. Right? On its surface, it's absurd. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's like, look, you submit to your husband, your own husband, as Christ is the head of the church and submits to her. Therefore, just as the church, verse 24, is subject, it's the same word, submits, to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And there you've got in everything. In everything. How many things? Everything. All right? Is there no things? Are there, is there ever a case in which a wife can refuse to submit to her husband? Yeah, okay. So this is a qualified everything. It's a qualified everything. How do I know that? Well, uh, by drawing principles from other places in Scripture. I'm not going to look at these passages, but you can note them down. Acts 4.19, Acts 5.29, in both cases... It is Peter and John. Uh, they are before the Sanhedrin, and they are commanded by the authorities, do not preach Christ. Do not proclaim his name. And in one case, Peter says to them, uh, well, you decide whether you think it's right for us to obey men rather than God. <laughs> right? It's like, what do you think? Let me just pose a question to you, almighty Sanhedrin. Should we obey God or man? Right? You paint them into a corner, like, well, you should obey God. Well, then we are proclaiming the name of Christ because we have been commanded by God's very own Son to proclaim this name. We are not going to listen to you. We are going to respectfully decline to listen to you. If you want to throw us in jail, go right ahead. Right? Think of Daniel's three friends. You know, should we bow to foreign idols? No. Does that mean then we're going to refuse to you know, submit to the punishment of refusing a law? No. Throw us in the fiery furnace. Go right ahead. We're still not going to bow to your dumb statue, Nebuchadnezzar. Same thing in Acts 5.29. Now, you may think, well, this is all fine and good. What if my husband isn't like Christ? <laughs> Right, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, what if my husband isn't worthy to be submitted to? What if he's a jerk? What if he's a what if he's a bossy boss? What if he's a meanie pants? Right, all these things. Yeah, I said meanie pants. <laughs> because I can't say other things. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're going to see because Paul kind of says respect later on in the passage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I,
What if my husband isn't like Christ? Well, okay. Look again at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as long as they are like Christ. Is that what it says? Unfortunately, no, it doesn't say that. It says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Your submission isn't conditioned on if your husband is Christ-like. It is submit to your husband as you would submit to the Lord. Wifely submission isn't conditional on the husband's worthiness. Now here's where I want to flip over to 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter, you know, middle of verse, uh, chapter 2, going into verse 3, he does something similar to what Paul does. So you've got submission to the government, submission to masters, submission to husbands, and so on. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, which we will, Lord willing, get to at some point, because I plan on preaching through 1 Peter sometime this year. Don't know when yet. Haven't planned that far ahead. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. It's the same command. That even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Period. So I kind of didn't see the period there. I was kind of reading as I was going on there. But again, notice that. Even if some do not obey the word. That's a hard statement. I'm not going to deny that. That is a hard statement. It's just as hard to say, submit to the governing authorities, even when they're like Nero. That's a hard statement. Submit to your husbands, even if some do not obey the word. Why? Well, who knows? Maybe by your godly and chaste conduct, you may win your husband to Christ. Right? Um, Where does he say that? Oh, that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. It's right there in verse 1. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Then he goes on about how they should be dressed, and then so on and so forth. But again, it is not a question of the husband's worthiness. Because if you really think about it, it's like the husband's never going to be worthy of your submission as unto the Lord. The best husband in the world is 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 not worthy of this level of submission if it's based on his worthiness. Okay? It is because God commands it. It is because it is in your submission to your husband you are submitting to the Lord in all things as long as your husband is not commanding you or asking you to do something sinful. All right, that's the wife's part. Husband's part. Notice how husbands here have a little bit more. Okay? It's interesting because in Peter... There's only one verse for the husbands, right? So Peter gets right direct. It's like, look, husbands, this is what you got to do. Boom. Okay. Paul here kind of draws that out a little bit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And I'll stop there. So now Paul turns to the husbands, and there, similarly, like he did with the word for wife, which is gune, he uses here the word aner, aner, which is just the, the Greek word for man. It's the gender, for the, the gendered person, man or husband. So he commands them 
to love their wives. Now, it's interesting because in where he says to the wives, submit, you might, at least maybe a worldly mind might think, husbands, rule over your wives well. Right? That's kind of what you might expect. Right? If the wife is to submit to the husband, you might think, Paul would say to the husbands, rule them, but rule them well. You know, be kind. No, he says, love, love. The command he gives there, apollo, love them. Paul says, love your wives. And the word there for love, that is the self-sacrificial love that we see uh, all throughout the New Testament. It, it's the love that God has for the world in which he gave his only begotten son. It is the love that Christ shows to his people when he goes to the cross. And that's, in fact, that's what Paul draws on here. Love your wife. This is a high standard, right? If you think submitting to your own husbands as unto the Lord is a high standard, think about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Is there any standard that's higher than that? I can't think of one. I can't think of one. The type of love Paul is calling husbands to show here is modeled by Christ as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Love is not about self-fulfillment. It is not about self-fulfillment. It is not about getting what you can get. It is not about fulfilling your needs. It is about self-sacrifice. Love means meeting the needs of another at your own expense. It's what Christ did for the church. He met the needs of the church which the church had a sin problem. And he met that need by giving himself on the cross to wash her, to purify her, to sanctify her, to present her without blemish at his own expense. This is what headship is all about. This is what authority is all about. And it's, it's really sad to see how sin has corrupted this idea of headship. Because the way the world sees headship and authority, it's all about self-fulfillment. It's all about benefit. It's all about what I can get out of it, right? If I, you know, uh, the, if you have ever been, if you've ever served in the military, right, and you know somebody gives you something uh, crappy to do, and you kind of complain about it, and they'll just go to you and say RHIP. Anybody here know what RHIP means? Rank has its privileges, okay? If I outrank you in the military, I could say, go scrub the toilets with a toothbrush. And guess what? You have to obey. <laughs> because if not, you would be ins insubordinate, right? That's how the world sees headship. It's like, I get to call the shots. I get to benefit myself from it. I get to, to get what I want by using others, that's not what headship is about. Headship or leadership, it's about benefiting those who are led. It's about lifting them up. It is about in building them up. It is about making them better. Because that's exactly what Christ has done for the church. When Paul here uses Christ as an example for husband, husbandly love to the church, he's not saying you have to be Christ to your wife, okay? Right? You're not going to atone for your wife's sins. You're not going to die on the cross for your wife. Uh, no. But as that love is shown between Christ and his church, 
that is the model for which your love is to your wife, that he might sanctify her and cleanse. Again, you don't sanctify your wife, okay, husbands? But as Christ gave himself for the church and sanctify her, you are to give of yourself to build up your wife, to make sure that she can be all that she can be in the Lord. So you can so that you can lead in a godly manner. Christ's example of love to the church is seen in the three purpose statements that you see in verses 26 and 27, where he says Christ sanctifies the church, cleanses her, sets her apart, he washes her uh, by the water of the word, and that he presents her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. I want to flip over to Colossians again. I don't want to look at verses. It's, it's a similar thought, so I just, but I just want to tease this out in another passage here. In Colossians 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Christ, in Him, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Christ did everything he did for the church in order to present her to the Father as a chaste bride, as a purified bride, as a bride without blemish. That's why in Revelation, when you see the, the heavenly bride come out, she is decked out all in white. She has been, uh, the, the white is the righteousness of, of Christ and all these things. Uh, she is a perfect decked out bride because of what Christ has done. And again, I'm not saying that, okay, husbands, you need to make sure your wife is purified and without blemish before the Lord. No. But as Christ has done that out of love, that is how you should see your headship, as one that works for the benefit of your wife and your family. Now, he goes on, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Hold that thought. We're going to look in that a little more deeply. 31, for this reason, and Paul quotes from Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So as Christ loves his body, the church, so also are husbands to love their own wives as their bodies. Verse 28. Now, hold your place here and turn to Genesis 2. Now, one thing I want to say is this is not a call so much to love your wife as you love yourself, okay? It's like, we all love ourselves, okay? <laughs> it's not a call uh, to, okay, I'm going to show my self-love to my wife. It is the fact 
that you recognize that in the one flesh union between husband and wife, when you love your wife, you are loving your body. Why? Because she is joined to you. She is joined to you. Genesis 2, verse 23. When God takes the rib from Adam's side and forms the woman, Adam awakes and he sees her and he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's kind of what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 30 or 31 there. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This woman is my body. Bone of my bone. And in, in Adam's case, quite literally, because she was taken from his body, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall cling to one another. If you remember in the story of Ruth, how Ruth clung to Naomi <laughs> when Naomi wanted, wanted to send her home and Ruth is like, don't send me home. And she clings to Ruth or to Naomi. That's the same word. Cling like glue. One flesh. They become one flesh. When you love your wife, you are loving your body. It is a recognition and the one flesh union of marriage, loving your wife is loving your body. You can go back to Ephesians 5. Now again, as I said with the wives, for the husbands, this is all fine and good, but what if my wife isn't lovable? <laughs> what if she's a nag? Yeah, I said it. <laughs> what, what, what if she's she, like, you never do this. You never do that. You always do. Yeah, what if she's like that? All right. Again, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as long as they're lovable and easy to get along with. Is that what it says? No. Love your wives just as Christ. Think about the church. <laughs> All right. How much does the church complain? How much did Israel complain in the wilderness? A lot. Where's our water? Where's our food? We're hungry. We're thirsty. There are no graves out here. Why did you take us out of here to bury us in the wilderness? <laughs> Moses was like, one more time. I mean, Moses was like, why did you give me the stiff-necked people? <laughs> and the Lord says, lead them. Lead them. They're not complaining against you, Moses. They're complaining against me. No, it's not a call to submit to your wife as long as she is lovable. Loving your wife is a condition on her worthiness, just as submitting to your husband is not conditioned on his worthiness. Loving your wife is Christ-like. You know, again, just as a wife submitting to her husband is submitting unto the Lord, a husband loving his wife is as if the church is loving, or as if Christ is loving the church. Uh, again, First Peter. So just as wives are to submit to their own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, the husbands without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Here Peter says to husbands, husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, 
Now, he's not talking about it like if you have multiple wives, okay? <laughs> Each husband dwell with your wife, okay? <laughs> with understanding, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. We'll get to that when we get to Peter. I don't, I don't want to take time to talk about that now. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you love your wife, if you live with them in an understanding way, if you, if you show them honor, why? Because they are fellow heirs with you. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, now the mystery. Verses 32 and 33. This marriage is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So now Paul goes on and talks about a great mystery, and he does it right after he quotes from Genesis 2.24. And that word there, great, megas, mega. It's a mega mystery, okay? You know, if I watch the old mysteries back in the 70s, it was mystery theater or whatever. Well, this is the mega mystery, right? Uh, it's the mystery of all mysteries. And what is that? He is speaking of the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, Paul has used mystery many times in Ephesians already. Um, just a catalog of some of these. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 9. Uh, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Uh, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Uh, how by revelation he made known to me, Paul, the mystery uh, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 3, to make uh, all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of, eight of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. We're going to see it later in chapter 6, verse 19. As for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So we, we've seen this word many times. He uses it in other uh, letters as well. Mystery is something that is uh, hidden previously or concealed. It is now being made known. And the mystery in this case is the relationship between a husband and a wife is a pointer to the relationship between Christ and the church. What God established in the beginning with marriage as the foundation for all of human society and civilization, where he said, you two will be the beginning of uh, a whole creation of people made in my image. Uh, you will leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife because you will be a one flesh union. You will be the one who is uh, the, uh, the, the bedrock of society. He says, that was not an end unto itself. Marriage is not an end unto itself. It is something that points to a greater reality. And what reality is that? Christ and his church. I said this before, I'll say it again. The story of redemptive history, which is the Bible, right? The history of redemption, I like to call it the greatest love story ever told. Far better than anything you'll see on the, uh, the Hallmark Channel or you know, Lifetime Network, okay, where they have all the you know, this love stories that my wife likes to watch and I don't. Um, <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to throw you on the bus there. <laughs> Um, 
No, the greatest love story ever told is the relationship between Christ and his church. The father chooses a bride for his son. Everything that we've seen so far in Ephesians, where in Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that is the father choosing a bride for his son. The son will then go and redeem that bride, and then the spirit is, in a sense, when it says there he is the guarantee, think of that as the engagement ring to the bride saying, yes, I will marry you, yes, you will be mine, yes, I will present you blameless and without blemish before the Lord. The son gives his life to redeem the bride. The son returns to take his bride to be with him forever. I was going to look at some passages, but we're running short on time. Psalm 45 is a psalm that talks about the wedding of the great king. And we, I preached through that some time ago, and it's a, it's a picture of Christ and the church there, the wedding of the uh, king to his bride. The entire book of the Song of Songs is a, is a picture of Christ and his church. Hosea chapter 3, when Hosea is told to marry Gomer, it's like, wow, what a name. <laughs> Parents, don't ever name your daughters Gomer. Don't name, your, don't name your daughters Jezebel. Don't name your daughters Bathsheba. And definitely don't name your daughters Gomer. Okay, that's just, I mean, that's just kind of like, duh, Gomer, you know. But Hosea is told to marry a woman named Gomer. She is a wife or a woman of, of harlotry. And it's a picture of God with Israel. And, and, and the, the point is that is Hosea is like a living parable of this, of this relationship between God and Israel. He's like, marry a harlot. Why? Because Israel, my people, are engaging in spiritual adultery. They are chasing after other gods. They are giving up on me and they're going after other gods. But then in Hosea chapter 3, he says, now go, redeem her. She shall be my bride still because I love her. Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5. John 14, verses 1 and 3. There is a great marriage motif there when Jesus says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, because that's exactly what the bridegroom would do. When he is engaged, he would go and prepare a home for him and his bride to live in. And then Jesus says, and then when I'm done, I'm going to come and I'm going to collect you and we're going to go and be together forever. This is why divorce is such a great evil in society, right? It is why divorce is such a great evil. We, we don't think anything about divorce anymore. We just don't as a society. It's just, eh, I'm tired, I'm bored, whatever. Irreconcilable differences. Can't get along anymore. To dissolve a marriage is like saying Christ can abandon his church. Right? That's, that's why Jesus in Matthew 19 puts such a high premium on marriage. It's like only because of adultery is divorce even an option. And even then it shouldn't, you know, if you can reconcile, be reconciled. I know that's hard. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle that. But it's like, look, it, it, this is such, it, marriage is so important. 
Why? Because again, it's a picture that points to something. If you could say, well, marriage is just something, it's a, it's a, uh, a relationship of convenience and I can whatever and so on and so forth. It's like, well, then you're saying that Christ and his church, that relationship is a relationship of convenience, which it is not. It is not. And it's also why idolatry is seen as spiritual adultery and why God is described as a jealous God. Now, I really need to wrap up, but I am almost done. So, the worthy walk of submission flowing out of verse 21 is first seen in marriages as wives are to submit or to respect. What you see there in verse 33, respect. And interestingly enough, that word respect is phobeo, fear, phobos, okay? Not like be scared of your husbands, okay? Husbands, don't go home and start being an ogre to your wives. No, <laughs> no. Fear, reverence, respect. Wives respect husbands, love their wives. Christian marriage shows forth the glory of Christ in the life of the church. And again, our culture in particular bristles at this teaching, right? If you were to teach this faithfully in a secular setting or maybe in a very liberal Christian setting, you'd get all kinds of uh, squirms and I don't like that and we need to redefine this and Paul is only, he's a person of his time and age and he doesn't know better, he's not enlightened like the rest of us. No, 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 a pox on that house. (laughs) Our culture bristles at this teaching. The chauvinism of a bygone day has been replaced with the feminism of today and along with all kinds of other aberrations. Both are excuses to abandon marriage. And this abandonment is not only a detriment to society, it destroys the story of redemptive history. But marriage is a blessed picture of Christ and his church. That's why there will be no marrying or being given in marriage in, in heaven, right? In the, in the age to come, Matthew 22, verses 29 to 32. Now, in the context of that, of course, is the Sadducees come up to Jesus and they're trying to trip him up. It's like, well, a man had a woman and then he died and then she married his brother and he died and she married the brother's brother and he died and so on and so forth. And then when in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And like, aha, we got you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, first of all, you don't know the scriptures (laughs) and you don't know the meaning of marriage. (laughs) Marriage is, is a product of this age. Because it points to Christ and his church. When the age to come arrives, when Christ is with his church, do we need anything that points to that? No. You're like, well, but I love my wife. I love my husband. Okay. (laughs) There's nothing saying that you won't continue to love your wife or your husband in the age to come. The point is, is that collectively we will be the bride of Christ. We will be with our bridegroom forever. He is our bridegroom. We are his bride. Christian marriage shows us the love that Christ has for us, his bride. And if you ever doubt God's love for you, look at what Christ, again, has done for you. He has sanctified you. He has washed you with the water by the word. He has presented you to himself blameless and without spot or wrinkle. Now, I have to stop here because I am literally at time. So, sorry. I did this perfectly so there would be no questions at the end. uh, (laughs) I'm not afraid of questions. Come to me after the service. Write them. You got got a thing on there. You can write questions to your your wrist get tired. But 
Uh, next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6. So uh, let me close in a very quick word of prayer and we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, what a great mystery we see here uh, in Ephesians 5, how our marriages are to bring glory to Christ and in, in, in the fact that uh, as we submit to one another in marriage, as husbands love their wives and wives uh, submit to their husbands, we are showing forth the glory of Christ in the life of the church. Now, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon our time this morning as we worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.